2: Hello everyone and <coughs> welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to talk to Dr. Mohamed Ghali. You're most welcome, sir. Thank Salam you so much. Assalamu alaikum and thanks for having me. Alaikum Asalaam. Um Mohammed Ghali is a professor of Islam and biomedical ethics at the Research Center for Islamic Legislation and Ethics at <laughs> Hamad bin Khalifa University in Qatar. He has a B.A. in Islamic Studies from Al-Azhar University in Egypt and an M.A. and Ph.D. in the same specialization from Leiden University in the Netherlands. Mohammed is the founding editor in chief of the Journal of Islamic Ethics, published by the prestigious academic publisher Brill. In September 2019, he became the founding program coordinator of the newly established MA program in Applied Islamic Ethics at Hamad bin Khalid University. Islamic ethics and its intersection with biomedical sciences is Muhammad's main research interest. He's the author of Islam and Dis- Disability, Perspectives in Theology and Jurisprudence and the editor of the volumes... Islamic Perspectives on the Principles of Biomedical Ethics, Islamic Ethics and the Genome Question and End of Life Care, Dying and Death in the Islamic Moral Tradition. He's the author of more than 50 publications and an editorial board member of a number of academic journals. He's also the lead principal investigator and research consultant on a number of funded research projects related to the field of islamic ethics and his publications could be accessed in a link which i will put in the description below now today dr muhammad ghali has kindly agreed to introduce us to the extremely important subject of islam and bioethics and to address questions such as what makes islamic bioethics islamic and what kind of challenges do muslim scholars have to deal with And who speaks for islamic bioethics and also mohammed will say something about his organizations hosting the world congress of bioethics in qatar which will be the first time in the arab world and indeed the whole middle east and it will be also be the first to have the theme of religion culture and bioethics and what's been particularly interesting is the blowback that uh, you've received from bioethicists in the Netherlands about even hosting this uh, conference in, in, in Qatar. But uh, that's well you can explain in more detail the issues surrounding that uh, issue. So um, so would you like to just to introduce us to um, this important subject? Thank you so
3: much. Thanks for having me again and for the interest in... Uh... A topic and a subject which is near and uh, dear to my heart, so not only my academic interest but also my passion for years now. So, uh, very happy to be the guest of this uh, important channel, widely viewed uh, program. So, uh, very happy to be with you.
2: Amanda, thank you for coming. So, thank you. Um, would you? Uh, just as lay people, uh, men and women who uh, have, a, have an intelligent interest in this subject, I mean, what, what is bioethics and, and, and what is, is islamic bioethics? So how, how, how does that differ from a secular perhaps understanding of the subject? Yes,
3: so let's start first with uh, explaining a little bit in simple terms what bioethics is. Uh, bioethics is now a well-established field uh, uh whose history, modern history, go back to the 60s and, uh, and 70s. Uh, we can think of pioneers like uh, Potter uh, from the United States of America, the school from Georgetown University, the colleagues who established the Kennedy Institute of Ethics. And the whole idea behind the establishment or the emergence of this new field is that the questions raised by the breathtaking advancements in the field of biomedical sciences, these questions cannot be properly handled and examined and addressed by uh, biomedical scientists only. So it needs specialists in ethics to deal with them so yes. to say what is good scientifically speaking and beneficial medically and clinically speaking is not necessarily also good but ethically speaking mm. things are quite complex so we need to address them also from an ethical question uh, from an mm. ethical perspective so things started around this time in the muslim world uh, more or less around the same time we started to have the same questions especially When Muslim countries started to uh, import uh, these uh, new biomedical technologies, uh, think of organ transplantation, uh, assisted reproductive technologies, IVF, uh, stem cell research, and all the stuff. So also, they started to ask the same questions. We Mm -hmm. will see throughout our discussions that uh, the approach was not always the same. Not only the difference between the religious and secular, but even the very approach itself, who is talking, how these discussions are happening, etc. But more or less um, around the same time, by the 1980s, we will have much more systematic discussions, institutionalized discussions in the Muslim world through the so-called Islamic uh, academies. So it's about the, the modern biomedical revolution that we started to have, especially roughly speaking, uh, the second half of the 20th century, uh, which made us aware that we need to discuss the ethical implications of this biomedical uh, revolution. And of course, mm-hmm. each community and even each individual uh, had to address these ethical dilemmas and uh, ethically challenging questions through the lens of his or her own moral
2: world. Mm-hmm. So w- w- what is a particularly Islamic take on this? Because the
4: What's the easiest choice you can make?
2: Sharia, uh the, the the body of Islamic law uh, and and guidance and so on uh, might not have much to say about stem cell research for example or vitro fertilization all these kind of revolutionary new techniques so how, how does an Islamic i mean who, who in Islam would address these subjects presumably the, the the Sharia scholars but how would they do it i mean what 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 um methods methodologies concepts techniques would they employ uh, to Um, uh, deal with these emerging technologies yes and and I do think this question it's very
3: important to have historical awareness also Mm -hmm. the birth of modern bioethics as we know now or the ethical questions of the biomedical revolution started to take uh, 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 um, a clear shape as I mentioned in the second half of the 20th century
0: Mm.
3: so we have a biomedical revolution but this was not the only context. There was also a very important context, which is the independence movement and decolonization in the Muslim world. Oh, right. So the majority of the Muslim world was colonized. Yes. And uh, there was an independence movement and people, so so the European colonization is, is leaving, military speaking at least, is leaving from the country. And there was a moment of discussing uh, what uh, what our identity is. what makes us unique and different why were we colonized mm, and how mm. we can be independent now and is it is it only a military thing or whatever uh, only or or is it much more than this and yes. then start with the question is uh, what went wrong uh, how uh, and how can we fix it so the 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 majority the dominant majority of religious scholars at this time the simple answer to this question what went wrong is that Sharia was not central in our society anymore. We left it, we ignored it, and we cannot gain full independence without re centralizing Sharia again. And so
2: then there, 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 there's, sorry, there, there's physical independence, military independence, political there's also ideological independence and the reclaiming of an Islamic. Yes. Which had been, for those reasons, sidelined or ignored or even suppressed uh, by the co- colonizers. So rediscovering the Islamic tradition uh, anew. Yes, uh, a post-colonial but this, this was this was the narrative of the
3: religious scholars. Huh? We have also the narrative of the secularists and the liberals, right. who would right. say that we had been colonized, etc., huh? because we had too much religion, hmm? and if we want to be modern. Uh, and and to to join this modern civilization, we have to do like Europe: the separation between religion and state, religion and science, religion and politics, and so on. And religion would move more to the private uh, domain, etc. So you had this intense discussion within Muslim societies about this, uh, was reflected much more in, uh, around. Uh, Clearly, specific questions like the evolution theory and the role of religion in that and all this stuff. But uh, ethical questions raised by biomedical technology was a very important domain and applied field where religious scholars would uh, try to prove their thesis, uh, uh, which we, uh, was formulated in Arabic as Sharia is valid every time and everywhere. Right. So, then the very normal question I would say to you, okay, now the ethical questions triggered by the biomedical revolution. What, what does Islam say about What does Islam say about stem cell What does Islam say about cloning and this stuff? So, mm. give me an answer rooted in the Islamic tradition. Yeah. Mm. And the majority of the religious scholars found it also interesting, hmm, that we can do it. So, the, 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 the work Efforts and time dedicated to this field from the religious scholars was not only because of the pressure coming from the biomedical revolution, but the pressure coming from what we mean by Sharia in our modern mm-hmm. time, and yeah. and what kind of questions can
2: Sharia answer, and the concept of Ishti The 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 this is quite key, the concept of Ishtihad, which you've just mentioned. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Because this is really, obviously I'm a layman, I don't know, but is, is this the tool with which scholars can utilize, an, an indigenous Islamic tool, to engage with these new emerging uh, issues? Uh, so what what is Ishtihad? Yes, one yes. of uh, the key tools used in this regard,
3: and recalled at this time, in the 1950s, 60s, and later, <coughs> was that the questions triggered by modernity and biomedical mm. revolution is, is just one phenomena of, of this big modernity. So uh, uh, political scene was also changing. So we have a modern nation state instead of the empires before and the caliphate, etc. The banking mm. system is also something new. They said all these, we can see them through the lens of the term known in Islamic history as a nawazib. Uh, which can be literally translated as predicaments, uh, new question, uh, novel issues, unprecedented dilemmas, stuff like this. And they said, yes, the questions that triggered the bi- biomedical revolution or modernity in general are new and maybe unprecedented before. We didn't have them. But is this the first time that religious scholars deal with questions that their predecessors did not have or did not even imagine? They said no. The phenomena of novelty and novel questions is a recurrent phenomenon Every every generation. Each yeah. generation has its own new questions that the previous generation did not have. So what we need is to revive the concept of this independent uh, uh, um, uh, ethical, uh, um, uh, religion Religious ethical reasoning, so that we can provide answers Informed by our uh, ethical, religious, and moral tradition, like the uh, previous scholars did, what was the new challenge for them? So they said, in this in this regard, we will speak about a recurrent challenge, something that happens every time we have something new. The problem was, in order to do ijtihad, practice ijtihad, or this independent reasoning, you you need two things the first one is that you understand the question at hand you know what this is because it's the new one so it's not like a question uh, when I am praying I forgot is it two rakahs, three rakahs, etc what sh- should I do in this question this is an old question and happens all the time and mm-hmm. all the, the seasonal questions we have about Ramadan, pilgrimage, uh, and so on no, this is a new one so the possibility that I do not understand it is, is high Yes. So first, I need to have what we call the right perception, as for the issue at hand. We must have this. In the case of the bioethical questions, I need to know the biomedical aspect of it. When I tell you, what does Islam say about organ transplantation, you need to know what what is organ transplantation? What does this mm-hmm. exactly mean? So I call this in my publications the informative component. You should have the right information on the table,
2: and the right second ex- one is right, ex- right expertise, which of course is a is a very specialized area. Organ transplants and IVF you know, these are not yes. something you can pick up by reading a you know uh, just an article on, on, on Google. You've got to, this is, involves training, understanding of science, and uh, and so on. So this is quite a challenging uh, thing to do
3: especially when we think back in the 1950s and 60s we didn't have the internet we didn't have the social media yeah. we didn't have Ch- gpt so the tools were quite limited so so uh, this is when having the right perception at hand and the, and the second one is the normative right uh, you you give a normative judgment to say okay this is halal haram makruh good bad uh, you judge it ethically and religiously speaking the contemporary religious scholars had a problem in this regard because the Muslim world was like the rest of the world. Huh? You know, one, one of the implications of modernity was specialization. You yes. cannot be good and scholar in everything.
2: Exactly. You have exactly. to be specialized. And the more specialized you are, the better it is. Yeah. So it's not just, more, you know, It's for other people to understand it. But the more specialized, it's good. But then that creates an ivory tower effect because you're no longer... Um, easily accessible uh, for other people because it becomes so specialized. Exactly. That
3: that, that will be a problem for bioethics later. But normally speaking, in modernity, the standard practice is that you must have a specialization. So Mm. to start with, you are either in humanities or science. Yes. Within humanities, which humanities? And within science, which science? And within medicine, which medicine? uh, Are you neurologist, cardiologist and so on? Yeah. So uh, the religious education in the Muslim world was also formulated and shaped and structured according to these lines. I myself studied at Al-Azhar University. Mm-hmm. And w- when you are uh, at the age of 14, 15, mm, around this, you have to choose which uh, uh, um, track you are going to follow. So, for instance, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a physician. Then you go to a specific track. We call it the scientific track, laimi You want to study Sharia, then you go to the literary track, adabi And you do this at the age of 15. So when, when you choose the literary track, like what I did, for instance, so uh, you do not have any science. Mm. It's not one of the subjects that you study from the age of 15. And you don't have math. So you don't have physics, you don't have chemistry, you don't have biology, you don't have all this. And when it comes to the language, English will be very light. A couple of hours in the week, unlike the the scientific track when you will have heavy English. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the the Sharia scholar when he is or she is a graduate hmm, at the age of 22 or 23, it means you have been uh, since the age of 15 you didn't have any science mm-hmm. and if you want to be a scholar so you will do master and phd and so on so you will have you will be separated for decades from science mm-hmm. so when i tell you what is organ transplantation you will not know what these yep. people are talking about so you will have a big problem uh, not only understanding the, the direct question but the broader context so if I tell you, look, transplantation, uh, we um, 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 transfer a tissue or an organ from one body to another. You will tell me, yeah. okay, what's the difference between tissue and organ? And then I tell you, oh, tissue, these are cells, and the cells, uh, you have DNA. And I say, oh, what, are, what is the cell and what's the DNA? Uh, these are really basics. You do not have them. So it, it became a big problem. When we started mm. these discussions, bioethical discussions. And in order to solve the problem, you have you have two options. One of them is the long term sustainable solution, is that you create these interdisciplinary figures. People who will study Sharia and science together, not to become scientists, but at least to have basic yeah. uh, knowledge about what science is, especially modern science. And this will take time. Mm. And people cannot wait. to to develop this hybrid generation, generation of hybrid knowledge. And after 15, 20 years, we will be able to answer these questions. And we don't know if this model of education will work or not. So we move to the mechanism of collective ijtihad. Instead of the individual ijtihad, we move to the uh, uh, collective ijtihad. That ijtihad is not practiced by one person, but by a group.
2: Uh, it's collaborative. So instead of yes. waiting for this super intellectual who's conversing with all the fields, you have a collaborative. Uh, but this whole idea of, I mean, the, the integrative understanding of, of, of knowledge of civilization is very Islamic, isn't it? There isn't this kind of split between religion and science in life, between the secular and the public. There, there, there is a sense of a holi- it's a holistic system. Uh, when the West has become very uh, split apart, so it's part of the DNA, to use the scientific metaphor, of the religion. I would suggest to have an integrated understanding of life. Um, so this split apart is, is something that is sits very awkwardly, I think, in terms of uh, an Islamic uh, approach. So it's good to see that it's coming back together again in this collaborative method that you're talking of.
3: I would say, I would say the 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 um... Uh, dying out of interdisciplinarity is is one of the influences of modernity, not necessarily Mm -hmm. western-eastern. So we -hmm. we have seen this also in the Muslim world. It it had found its way even in al-Azhar, the religious institution. So you do not have by time, so let's speak about the historical context we speak about, the the second half of the 20th century, you will hardly find uh, those scientists, who are well-versed in Sharia, or the opposite. Mm, They are mm, split, even mm. if they are graduates of Allah. So Mm. you you have this split. So in the West, in the East, it's it's modernity. It's the age of modernity, where specialization is much more honored than this interdisciplinarity. So there is no um, uh, context that will create uh, Ibn Rushd, uh, uh, for instance, who will be... uh, an authority in medicine, and will write a textbook in medicine, and will be authority in fact and will write also bidayat al-mujtahid, You do not have these hybrid people, uh, like Ibn Nafis, uh, who is a well-recognized physician, but he's also included in uh, the biographies of the Shafi'i scholars, in the Shafi'i school. He, he is recognized as a Shafi'i jurist, although he is a physician, and so on. You do not have this. Oh, so th- this was a problem. The solution was collective yeah. in, in
2: the,
3: vision. In the 1980s, 1981 more specifically, we started to have discussions on bioeth- modern bioethical questions through mm-hmm. this mechanism of collective ijtihad in institutions. So we have the establishments of the um, Islamic Organization for Medical Sciences in Kuwait. And since the 1980s till now, they do nothing except to bioethics, from an wow. Islamic perspective. So they don't discuss politics. They don't discuss divorce and marriage and all this stuff. Only only things related to bioethics, in collaboration with two other important institutions: the one in Jeddah, International Islamic Fiqh Academy; one in Mecca, uh, Islamic Fiqh Academy. All these three institutions are transnational and and transdisciplinary.
2: Now, uh, do these institutions publish in English, in the English language? uh, Especially in the
3: beginning, the the Islamic Organization for Medical Sciences, they would publish the proceedings of their uh, um, symposia or conferences in both English and Arabic, and sometimes even in French. But by time, um, I think they realized that it is undoable. Uh, also financially speaking, to translate everything and the quality, to, to guarantee the quality of translation and stuff like this. So you don't see this anymore uh, later, uh, with few exceptions. Uh, it's just, you, mean
2: in Arabic, you mean only in Arabic now, you mean? Only in Arabic, yeah. yeah. The, problem the, the, is, the problem, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, of course, but the it, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the 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 world language today for scientific discourse globally, academically is English. and if if discourse in bioethics in the Muslim tradition is taking place in a language which is not accessible to most English-speaking peoples. Then it's you know it's not accessible. Uh, So West Western trained academics who want to learn about the Islamic uh, bioethical tradition won't have access to that information if it's not in a language that they can read and understand. As obvious. No, to
3: to (laughs) problematize the situation more, it is not (laughs) even accessible to the Arab speaking. Well, indeed. So So, yes, it is in
2: Arabic. Yes, it it is is in Arabic. Arabic. Interdisciplinary approach is great. Now you've got an integrated understanding, but it's not making uh, 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 the impact it might have on the global international academy and discussions because it's not in a language people can access. So it seems that it hasn't quite got there yet.
3: No, uh, these are uh, uh, so if if we speak about the the pluses and minuses of this new approach, of course one of the pluses and and the good benefits of it is that you have a discourse exactly that that you have perspectives uh, rooted in the tradition and all this stuff, you have good collaboration between and you don't have these walls between scientists and religious scholars and so on, this is all great no question about it but Mm. the problem is the impact so to start with uh, not speaking about the global discussion the, the least is that you uh, uh, provide um, answers to the physicians working in the Muslim world. This is the minimum, so that people mm-hmm. can run the hospitals and, and stuff like this. Yeah. With, with the exception of the of the physicians who participate in these discussions, I I would say I dare to say that a great number of the physicians working in the Muslim world who are Maybe Arab and we speak Arabic and so on. We cannot understand this material mm-hmm. because it's it's a very heavy material in Islamic studies. So uh, using fiqh and also fiqh, Islamic legal theory, jurisprudence, uh, it, it's quite technical, it's too technical and very difficult to understand if you don't have strong Islamic studies background. So it needs translation, not only translation in language, but it's translation in concepts. And mm-hmm. this gives, of course, someone like myself, uh, my colleagues who are working on Islamic bioethics and in Arabic, of course, a great privilege that they can um, make this bridge with the rest of the world and um, uh,
2: non-specialists in in Islamic studies. But uh, I agree,
3: it is one of the big problems.
2: Now, you you mentioned I, I mentioned briefly at the beginning about y- your your organization is hosting the World Congress of Bioethics in in Qatar. Um, this is the first time this happened in the Arab uh, or or the the Middle East. Um, And a basic question, will this be in English? (laughs) Presumably it will be. Yes, it will be (laughs) in English. Obviously you're involved in it uh, and and you're obviously uh, fluent in English, which is great. Um, And um, I've just noticed because you sent me an article uh, beforehand um, that just having this congress on bioethics in Qatar there was some considerable blowback I'm calling it from bioethicists in in your country Netherlands say so your country one of the countries that you spent a lot of your time in um and, and that was quite that would could you just tell us a bit about that story if you don't mind and, and how it's been resolved I think if it is being resolved
3: Yes. Now, to to start with, of course, it's uh, great news, great news for people in the Muslim world, great news for uh, the bioethics uh, scholarly community in general, worldwide. This Mm. means edition of the World Congress. And it happens once every two years. So we speak about more than 30 years of conferencing. And this is the biggest uh, gathering for bioethics worldwide. And there is no second to it. So there is no competition between two institutions trying to represent to the bioethics community. This is the the biggest and the largest one. You can imagine for 16 times, 16 editions, 30 years, never in the Arab world, never in the Middle East. Uh, which is uh, phenomenal i would say okay. yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> yes so so um, um when when we applied and we applied in collaboration with another institution also based here in qatar uh, called well Innovative summit for health which the acronym and we did it because they have big experience in uh, organizing large scale conferences. Uh, in our center, we usually organize academic conferences, but small scale ones. But things like go beyond thousand and stuff like this, our partner, which uh, have much more expertise in this regard. Uh, when we, when I applied and I thought of applying to hosting in the congress, um, uh, because I, I myself participated in previous editions before because this is my field, uh, I, I found it quite uh, strange that never happened in the Arab and the Middle East, as if this is not world. Uh, so when we speak with World Congress, so this is not part of the world, we can continue being international without uh, engaging with this uh, part of the world. Um, and also never in the previous editions was the theme religion. Really? Uh, we, wow. So it's, it's not only about the geography, but about yeah. the concept, because because the modern bioethics was born in a secularized world. Yeah. So where, where we realize, especially when it comes to science, religion is, is not part of it. So we separated religion from politics, uh, separated religion from science and so on. So bioethics, although in the very beginnings, religion was there, but by time, uh, it, it, it became as secular as medicine itself. So uh, if we don't want to do public reasoning or stuff like this, so we put our religious convictions aside and we we'll go with it. So I thought it, this will be very important uh, opportunity for people in the, in the Muslim world and in the Middle East to know that uh, there is a secular mindset for this and not everything is revolving around religion as they think here. And also the other part of the world, people in Europe and the US, will realize that there is a religious public reasoning, and that it's not it's not like what we think in Europe and the US. Religion mm. is not central in the in the in the public discourse anymore, and that we use always secular
2: well, principles you're, you're, and ways of think. If you say that, if I can push back against what you just said, in the United States, for example, the issue of abortion. Um, is immensely controversial and a very central to the political discourse. A lot of people who are very pro-life in the United States are motivated by profound religious convictions, whether they be Christian mostly, because it's a mostly Christian country, but also Muslims and other faith groups as well. So faith, religion, bioethics, abortion, is political, is all wrapped up together in the United States. It's not kind of, uh, I, I get your point about not in normative discourse in the academy, it's all separated out, but in terms of the political realities, it's a real hot button issue, particularly in America, to a lesser extent in Europe, much lesser extent, but it's still there-ish actually uh, in France and Britain and so on. So I, I, I would push back against the idea that it's wholly separated out in the West and that Um, I know what you're getting at, but I think it's more complicated than that, particularly in America. You are completely right. I
3: agree. Um, I'm just trying to explain why religion was not discussed, because the field was was secularized in a specific moment in history. But it's true uh, we cannot speak about secular approach to all topics. Mm. So, for instance, stem cell research. When uh, the administration of uh, George W. Bush, the son, uh, yeah. uh, 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 limiting stem cell research was motivated by Christian perspectives. So at, at this at this level, yeah, and and some, yeah. by the way, to strikingly enough, uh, and I was in a conference in Riyadh uh, around this time. This was. 2003, five, something like this, when, when this law was drafted in the United States, many of the scientists who were working on stem cell research, research in the U.S. started to uh, move their activities to the Gulf region here, especially Saudi Arabia and Qatar, some of them. Why? Because the religious perspective to stem, uh, embryonic stem cell research from an Islamic perspective is much more permissive than the Catholic one. So they found that this will be more uh, conducive and welcoming to their research. And they moved here, uh, their activities, scientific activities. So, yes, religion is not isolated, has never been isolated, especially with some topics. And even in Europe, you cannot say that the significance of religion in uh, countries like the Netherlands, Sweden and Finland is the same like uh, Italy and Spain. Yeah. for instance. Also not the same. The, the significance of religion is more. But, but these are all nuances. Huh? Yeah. But when we speak about the field of bioethics in general, yeah. uh, the main activities are eastern academia. True. And, and Western academia and their approach to bioethics is secular. They will deal with, with the religious approach in the field uh, um, uh, as minority. Mm -hmm. so when i was living in the netherlands i was uh, teaching a guest lecture in almost all colleges of medicine in the netherlands Mm -hmm. but in a course about culture uh, and bioethics something like this and you will have only one class uh, and you will be asked all the time about the exotic issues Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, stories that hit the headlines in the newspapers Uh, uh, a pregnant woman Uh, who's going to uh, deliver, and then suddenly the husband says, oh, male doctor shouldn't uh, uh, help my um, wife, and then the wife is in danger, and the baby is in danger, etc. And he we say, "Uh, doctor, what does Islam say about such a thing? Okay, Mm -hmm. here comes the Islamic bioethics. But when we Mm -hmm. discuss, for instance, the big values, hmm, what what do we mean by autonomy? What do we mean by justice? How to define these big principles? You are not on the table. Because we know how to handle this from a secular perspective, and the secular perspective by default is universal, is accessible to, to everyone. But religious um, uh, ethics is a particular morality;
2: is not is not universal morality. But this you, is usually the assumption. This is not. Yeah, this is that's the assumption. But of course, that that's not necessarily true. Of course, because the assumption of. Bodily, You mentioned autonomy, bodily autonomy, the sense that I own my own body, it's my body, I can do with it as I please, feeding into, of course, a woman's right to choose when it comes to abortion up to birth, uh, as it is uh, in in the United States, is a profoundly philosophical uh, idea rooted, I I would argue, in kind of post-Enlightenment Western tradition, which has its roots in people like John Locke uh, and Kant and Rousseau and so on. Um, And it's very secular. Um, Of course, in Islam is completely different. Uh, The the Qur'an is very explicit that the universe, everything in the universe, including ourselves and our bodies, is owned by God. But we are not the owners of ourselves because we are God's property, if you like. And and he is God. He is the Lord. Um, That's a very different premise to begin with when it comes to what we do with our bodies ethically, isn't it? And the the Western idea presents itself as you know, you're right uh, as universal axiomatic based on human rights but it actually i, I would argue it's rooted in very particular uh, uh, uh intellectual tradition in the west it has a genealogy that you can trace all the way back uh, to certain philosophers certain thinkers even back to ancient greece you know back to aristotle and so on and it's not universal it's not chinese it's not islamic it it, it doesn't come from sub-saharan africa are always different civilizations different worldviews different philosophies and assumptions about what it is to be human what it is to be uh, a being in the world that is a, a divine creation so um there's a long way of saying that secularization despite what it claims to be is not neutral and objective to the extent that it has these assumptions about reality about the life the universe and everything that would be my day. Yes,
3: it's good that you mentioned this example of autonomy. We can say a few things about it. Uh, th- that uh, uh, in Islam the issue is much more nuanced that I have autonomy over my body or not. It's not that simple. Like, like uh, uh, abortion, pro-life, uh, uh, pro-choice. In Islam, much more nuanced and complex than that. So when we speak about autonomy, for instance, the, 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 the uh, belief itself عقيد, is based on autonomy without autonomy there is no belief I have to choose I have to be able to choose that I believe in God or I do not believe in God if I don't have this autonomy it doesn't make sense that I believe but once I commit myself to believe in God it comes with it specific limitations for my autonomy Mm, mm. Uh, like for instance i choose to be an american citizen i, I may choose not to be hmm? i'm living in america i got the green card and now it's uh, my right to get the uh, citizenship we say okay oh, for citizenship for instance you can be summoned to serve in the army uh, but i'm a pacificist i don't like that and i don't want to be committed okay then you say i, I will not accept it so 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 You commit yourself to a system of belief. It means your autonomy will not be the same of your autonomy, will never be the same like the person who does not commit himself or herself to this system of belief. So there is, first of all, God's permission. Number one, without God's permission, you cannot touch your body like in euthanasia. You want to actively terminate your life. We say you cannot do that because the author of life is the one who can decide about right. it.
2: That's why right. Su- suicide is forbidden. It's haram because we're not it the is. author of our life. It's a gift from yes. God and therefore autonomy there doesn't exist. There is no autonomy. <laughs> no, no. There, there is no autonomy in this sense. Huh? In this sense. There is sense. no autonomy yes, in I, I, this sense. I, I,
3: I, 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 but there is sense. autonomy. So yes, we are not the owners of our bodies, but we are the trustees of our bodies. Umana al jasad. Mm-hmm. And I, I am the only trustee over my body as an adult mm-hmm. person. Yes. So the physician does not have higher authority over my body than myself. Mm-hmm. Nobody has. Why? Because I am the one who will be held accountable before God about, about what I did with this trust, with this amana. He gave it to me, mm-hmm. not to someone else. So yeah. I can say to the physician, don't touch my body. Will say if I do not interfere, your health will be at risk. I say I don't care. It's not. It's not your business. Why? Because it's my responsibility. It's my autonomy, and that's why we find in Islamic jurisprudence, even classical discussions, we don't have this concept of autonomy, but we have the concept of permission al isnin. That for the physician, to interfere in one's body, you must have permission from the person al isn't. Right. We have this from the earliest books written about it, like Edible Tabib by ar the uh, practical, uh, the etiquettes of the physician, uh, uh, works of Islamic jurisprudence and so on. And this is all autonomy, but not the autonomy that we understand in the secular sense.
2: So things are quite... There's autonomy in a deeper sense, rather than... Uh, in a sense, you mean, of course, that is entirely proper uh, and indeed a uh, very civilized way of going about things. But the, the deeper sense of our philosophical and metaphysical autonomy over against God uh, in a purely secular paradigm is that that, that was getting at because that informs, I think, a lot of ethics in the West uh, on many, many issues, not just on, on the medical field but in other fields as well.
3: Uh, that's the problem. I, I would say that. Uh, uh, Modern discourse of bioethics is an amazing discourse, uh, added much to modern human thinking, but it has lost much of richness hmm? Mm. Uh, by not uh, getting insights from uh, 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 religious moral traditions. Mm. It would have been much richer than it is now. So we have very few things integrated into the the mainstream bioethical discourse from religion, like the double effect from the Catholic, for instance. You will have it in secular bioethical discourse, which has roots in in religious traditions. But beyond this, uh, there is this feeling that uh, we, we know it, we know how to do it. So we mm-hmm. don't we do not need religions to help us in this regard. And, and I say this a uh, big myth in uh, in. The, in the secular bioethical discourse, and I hope that having the World Congress of Bioethics in, 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 well, in as a Muslim-majority country, in the Middle East, in the Arab world, that it will help uh, this uh, mutual understanding so that secular bioethics can learn from the religious discourse and religious bioethics would learn from the secular bioethical discourse and so on. But if you would like to uh, speak about the uh, controversy, we can also get into the controversy. Uh,
2: yes, I, I, but before before we get to that, I do want to get to that because I think it, it really illustrates the, the the context in which this conference is happening uh, and, and it suggests all sorts of Orientalist tropes and so on. But come to that in a second. So I just want to come back to what you said because bio- bioethics is not just an obscure area of intellectual medical concern. The whole idea now in the West is almost normative that if I was a you know, a, a 10-year-old boy, and I just think one day, well, actually, I'm i am a girl, and I want to have surgery. I want to have puberty blockers. I want to do this. You know, I want to change my body. Uh, for many people now in the West, many countries in the West, is now a legal right for that kid, that child, to actually go ahead and materially, you know, access so-called <coughs> medical care. I say so-called advisedly. Um, to actually stop nature's natural processes uh, as a boy uh, uh, or as a girl. And you know, this is ethical. This is ethics. It involves medicine, but it also involves a profound understanding of what it is to be human, what it is to be a male or female. What, you know, and in Islamically, obviously, we're made either male or female, so, so in the Quran in several places. So this is where religion and ethics and contemporary issues really collide very hard, hard on. And, and then coming on to um, your World Congress of Bioethics in Qatar, y- you've had some criticism, public criticism from bioethicists in the Netherlands, I understand, who've written a letter. I think it's called, you call it a letter, um, um, criticising Qatar um, for a whole bunch of reasons, some of which is to do with economic, in- alleged economic injustices, whatever. But also because of basically like the World Cup issue. This is like a World Cup part two, isn't it? Where the media, the Western media, that is, were very critical of Qatar for a whole bunch of reasons, not least because their views on LGBTQ and all that. Um, And I think Qatar did remarkably well, by the way, um, in terms of dealing with that onslaught from a West which feels it can dictate to the Muslim world what it should believe and how it should run its affairs. But it, it, have, have you experienced something on a smaller scale, perhaps, uh, of this in uh, the blowback from West, some Western bioethicists about this conference being hosted in your country?
3: Yes, I, I would like to say first that, that the reaction from the colleagues bioethicists around the world has been so far overwhelmingly positive. so uh, Or at least neutral. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, because, because this is the seventeenth edition, and it is not the first time to to have the congress in a country that we, as ethicists, philosophers, bioethicists, healthcare professionals, that we think that this this country is not human rights friendly, for instance, or has problems, or I have objections, I have concerns, whatever. This happened many times. Uh, this is not the first time, and and we will always have. So if, if I am from the, the, the this part of the from the Muslim world, and the Congress will be in the U.S., I will say, oh, but what about the mass shootings? Is it safe that I go there? Maybe we will have a mass shooting during the Congress. Uh, I will have concerns about physical safety and so on. Uh, 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 countries that are, for instance, sending troops uh, to kill people in the Muslim world. Should I go to these countries as a Muslim? And so on? we have these discussions all the time. But... So, the, the, uh, this case, first of all, it's the first, so you will have questions about the first, first time in the Arab world, first time in the Middle East, so it's normal that it will raise questions, and it came directly after the World Cup, so we are living in what I usually say to my students, World Cup syndrome, <laughs> so we are <laughs> all influenced by the World Cup syndrome and all the discussions and polarizing discussions about yeah, these issues, but for the World Congress, I would say, look, World Congress of Bioethics is never hosted by a country; it's hosted by an institution. Right. So, right. as an international association of bioethics, I don't say uh, uh, the 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 government or the German or uh, Swiss government applies. And then I give you the right to host it. It's not like the World Cup. Yes, it's it's, it's the biggest conference in the field, but but it is a field-specific congress. So, huh? yeah. so yeah. bioethics only will attend, not uh, not not uh, sport people or anyone else. So we should look into the institution. Does the institution have enough infra, uh, enough scholarly infrastructure to host it or not? That's the question. We have concerns about uh, human rights, academic freedom, etc. Check the history of the institution and find, do they speak about these issues that you have concerns about? And I, I, I we wrote in the article extensively uh, that uh, there is the, the, the level of academic freedom that makes us eligible to host the World Congress and that nobody will be censored and so on. Uh, there mm. so uh, 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 this is what we need to think about as bioethicists uh, mm-hmm. what 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 we should we do about this like like the the example you mentioned about sex change surgery for instance changing mm-hmm. my my sex or uh, lgbt or uh, women's rights whatever as a bioethicist i cannot solve every, everything and nobody is expecting this from me but mm-hmm. what i need to do, what is my added value now, is that, for instance, we ask the question, do women have equal access to health care like men? Yes. yes, this is a bioethical question and a valid one. And it should be possible to discuss. And if not, then I will have a problem. If, if I am part of the board, uh, if I'm a board member of the International Association of Bioethics, I, I want to make sure that this is the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 would my sexual orientation, uh, um, uh, be inhibitive for me to have rights and access to health or, uh, and, uh, and, uh, these issues yes, these are bioethical issues and we have to discuss them and we have to find solutions for the people to discuss them but as a bioethicist I would say it's not my my position and not what people expect from me that I say to you, look Uh, Your country, according to my criteria, uh, is not civilized enough to host the World Congress. Okay, what is your criteria? And I put uh, one, two, three, four, five things, like uh, women, migrant workers, LGBT, whatever you want to add, Uh, being friendly to the Muslim world, not killing civilians, not using drones in Afghanistan, whatever condition you want to add, and you say, go to your government, Change the laws in your country until I find them s- civilized enough, and then I will give you the right to be to vote in the Not accepted language, and I don't think it is good for the field of bioethics because simply, first of all, as bioethicists, it's very difficult to agree on such a legal. yes. Well,
2: because what, what, is what the,
3: I find, what, the
2: question question, criteria, what is the criteria? You, you I mean, what, what one group yes. will say. Well, you know, do you drone foreign powers? Do you invade? Uh, do, do you have mass shootings in your country? Do you intri- try yes. and impose your ideology on other nations? Hint, hint. That These are criteria that matter. Another bunch will say, well, what about LGBT rights? Do, do, do Does your yes. country support the right of five-year-olds to change their sex without telling their parents, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, et cetera. But I mean, wow, th- th- these are the issues of the moment. And, and how can... You know, that they deserve a separate conference in themselves. So, to make those, I think what you're saying is to make these the defining criteria from whether or not a an institution, an independent institution, independent of government, which yours is, um, to make these the criteria, well, that the, uh, 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 an institution should host it is an impossible thing because you would never have an agreed list of criteria between the Holland, the, the Dutch. Uh, bioethicists and the Saudi bioethicists and the American bioethicists, goodness knows what the Chinese bioethicists would say as well, you know. So you you would never have this agreement, would you, presumably? So there has to be yes. some other way of dealing with this issue, otherwise you're never going to meet in the first place, are you? Yes, no, I uh,
3: look, it, it, there is uh, in, uh, inside uh, each and every one of us, especially in the field of bioethics or in ethics in general, there is a, this little activist, not the academic, <laughs> but the activist. I, I want. I, I want to have a better world. Uh, right. n- not only that, I want to publish good mm. articles, but I, I want th- that the ethics that I study make the world a better place mm. to live in. So mm. I have this activism, and I'm sure the colleagues, the Dutch colleagues, also have this. Uh, that's what motivated them. That's yep. fine. That's all fine. But being an activist, this is something. And being a bioethicist in academic and scholarly field called bioethics is something else. And if you mix both, you will not have a field. So we we will not be able to continue our academic and scholarly work. Uh, If if I watch news on CNN or Jazeera or whatever, I have a problem personally. I cannot work for a couple of days because I'm not happy with what's going on. But I have to continue my work because... This is how I can contribute to the improvement of the situation we are living in. So I cannot Mm -hmm. wait till the U.S. is an ideal country so that I can deal with colleagues in the U.S. or Australia or the Netherlands or whatever. We have our work that we need to focus on to improve it, to make a better field, uh, a truly global uh, uh, field of bioethics. And this is the minimum that we can do. If we can do more by collaboration together, that's fine.
2: I, th- I think that, that I, I mean, yes, I think that's a, a very good solution. I was just thinking perhaps rather cynically that it, it used to be said that, uh, to give an analogy with sport, global sport, you know, whether it be football or golf or whatever, um, there's no politics in sport. We should keep politics out of sport. So we have like a, there was a, a German football player, a Muslim German football player who who, who said something quite publicly about the Palestinians or, or, you know, had some, and he was roundly criticised, bringing politics controversial issues into sport. you shouldn't do that. And he was roundly criticised. And then you have, of course, the German team having LGBT armbands or something during the Qatar World Cup or being very publicly pro-Ukrainian uh, because of the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now politics is very much a part of sport when it comes to Western foreign policy objectives like on Ukraine or ideological issues like LGBT all that is perfectly acceptable in sport, and it's promoted. The BBC promoted this, I noticed, Uh, but five minutes before that, it was, we can't have politics in sport. We can't have these divisive issues promoted in sport. We can't have it in football. We can't have it in, you know, all that. And I'm thinking, wow, where did that happen? You know, the, the, the double standards, the hypocrisy, of course it's led by a Western agenda all the time. Yes, we mustn't have football. We mustn't have politics in sport, except when we the west decide we can and then because it's a worthy cause we must have lgbt in sport we must have pro-ukrainian publicity and slogans and propaganda in sport but what's this got to do with sport what 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 is an invasion in that part of the world got to do with sport nothing nothing to do with sport at all but it has now yeah. because the power brokers have decided to bring it in And I, i'm saying i'm being cynical about this because everyone can agree i think in what you've just said except until Certain people decide, well, actually, we're going to have political criteria after all. And unless the Muslim world endorses X, brackets, gay marriage, LGBT, actually, we're not going to have them in your countries. You know what I mean? They're, they're, it's not really a level playing field. And the agendas sometimes get imposed, even when you've disavowed them, in theory. If that makes sense. Yes. Um,
3: uh, look, I... Um... This is is part of my personality, I always uh, would like to see the best of the people that I'm in conversation with or debating with, I I, I do not always get uh, uh, from the bad intentions. So putting aside possible possible influences like being racist, um, um, Islamophobic, uh, whatever, putting these things aside because it's very difficult to verify. And uh, I always want to have the good part in the people, Mm -hmm. the good part in the people. I would say, why do we have these problems? Why do we have these problems? Because we don't have good dialogue. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: When when I am sitting, so imagine I'm at Leiden University discussing with my colleagues at Leiden about whatever topic in bioethics or in human rights, whatever, Mm -hmm. like let's say for instance, uh, homosexual marriage, whatever. Mm. and we um, agreed that this is good this is good mm. it is a good thing and let the people have their individual liberties and so on because it's part of the uh, individual freedoms uh, mm. why not uh, so you can decide to marry and you can decide to marry who the uh, male female whatever and uh, we agreed together the problem is that we come to the conclusion it's not only good for us it's good for everyone Mm. So, it's not yeah. only particular morality or secular morality, but universal morality. And those yeah, but... who do not agree with us with the best goodwill, I would say not civilized enough. Yes. And we are just waiting for them to take this step, and we are pushing to, 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 make, the, to, to make them uh, do this step as soon as possible so that we will be all civilized. But mm. if I sit with others, we may think differently like for instance i'm a religious person i do not have this unlimited scope of autonomy so i have accountability before god so if exactly. i if i have a text in my religion saying this or that i have to respect it otherwise there is no it does make sense that there is the religion and that there is a scripture and so on okay and then i ask you what does what is the common sense here Why is this debate? I can tell you, there is a value of family. And uh, there is no family without marriage institution. In marriage institution, there are mutual rights and obligations, etc. I'm sure with this dialogue, it's not necessarily that we will agree on everything, but at least we will have this epistemic humility that Mm. we know uh, that, yes, I am right, but maybe these people also have something to say the problem is that in europe and the united states if we agree at least the majority we think okay this is the norm this is the standard and everyone should listen and this is a big problem so the ethical discourse is not global bioethical discourse is not global and then we think it is global and it is a fallacy
2: and he, here comes the problem
0: mm.
2: no i i agree I, 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 I hear that you want to be and um, positive in your estimation of people, and that's a very, uh, very good thing. But when I look at what's going on in and other countries, the sense of natural superiority values are the values of civilization, and this discourse is used not just on the right; it's on the left as well. This seems to be uh, across the board agreement that. um French values are the, the civilized values. Uh, for example, I'm not picking on France. I'm not giving it as an obvious example. But it's not only that country at all. Um, it makes the genuine kind of respectful uh, uh, dialogue that you're speaking of rather difficult because, you know, you know, you, you, you say you don't want to impute racism or Islamophobia, Orientalism into this ideology, but it ca- kind of is there, isn't it? Orientalism <laughs> is obvious. You don't need to be a doctor of Islamophobia to spot it, you know. Um, you know, if I had my way, you know, every 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 Frenchman and woman would read Edward Said's book Centralism, just to remind them that there is another way of seeing the world that's not just the French way. Um, but that's my thing. Um, so I, I'm I'm just trying to say that even with the best will in the world, which clearly you have, there's still quite a mountain to climb. I would argue uh, when it comes to the um, the hubris. Uh, of many Western countries, in, in regards to what is civilized, and thus what is to be expected in terms of ethical outcomes, ethical dialogues, and unfortunately, the the asymmetry there of power and hegemony is still very striking. I would say in today's world. Yes, but I also have to say something about this.
3: Uh, why is not the bioethical discourse global? Yeah. Or not global enough. Yeah. Uh, of course, part of it because we are not doing well in the West. We are not having uh, uh, a dialogue on the basis of equality and and mutual respect, and so on. yes. We, we can be criticized, and I consider myself as someone who has been living in the Netherlands, got my education there, and so on. It's something that we can be criticized for. But also putting myself in the Muslim world, I'm also part of this Muslim world. There is also criticism. Uh, uh, like, for instance, uh, I can ask you, in, in my capacity as a German or American or Swiss bioethicist, where is your bioethics Where is this that I have to engage with? In in the West, you have a very strong academic infrastructure. So there is hardly any, I cannot think of any, college of medicine or hospital with no professor and team of bioethicists. You have it. Here in this part of the world, yes, I am a professor, as you introduced me, of Islam and biomedical ethics. Okay, how many do we have in the Muslim world? Mm. to be honest I I don't know any (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. with this title but does this mean that we do not have bioethics, yes we have but for instance colleges of Sharia I I am part part of the college of Islamic but not not, not every college of Sharia would have someone who would uh, completely dedicate it to this topic so they will Mm. make it for instance in their PhD dissertation a professor will write a book and then we'll go further with other things So, you do not have this specialization, this infrastructure like what we have in the West. It's fragmented, it is not focused. uh, And and that's why we do not have, you ask me, are they publishing, are these councils publishing in English? They are not publishing in English, although it is an international language. So, this also is hindering the dialogue. But on the other hand, I have also to say, why do I have to learn English and you do not have to learn Arabic? I know. If you I want to know about, about the Muslim world.
2: Absolutely. And I was aware of that yeah. when I was saying that. I, I, I was aware I was making an Orientalist point, actually. But I, I, <laughs> I, was also, I, was, uh, I was also aware, though, that I was making a real politique point as well. In that, Although you're right, there's an obligation for them to learn Arabic too. But in terms of, as I mentioned, the asymmetry of power the hegemony of the West at the moment, that is the case. Yeah, we we,
3: we tried to solve this problem in the World Congress a little bit because I had discussions with the Mm. International Association of Bioethics in this regard. So, for instance, for the first time, we will have a number of panels in Arabic, in the Congress. This will be the first time also. It was always in English, even when it was in Argentina or in China. Everything was in English all the time. I said, if you want to know about the discussions within the community of the host institution, you have to let them speak in their own language. Absolutely. So that you understand. So we said that we will have these panels in Arabic and with English translation so that also the others can understand. And they they found it a good idea and they said we make it like a standard practice every time. So if we are in China, then we have a couple of panels in Chinese. And if we are, in, for instance, in India, we have a couple of uh, panels in their own language, and so on. So uh, th- this this would help a um, um, uh, 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 little bit. But if I want to speak about, uh, to specialize in African bioethics, it's not possible that I don't know any African language. Mm-hmm. And I expect that they will make everything for me in English because I am living in the United States. Of course not. If you are Arabic, Arabic is not a local language. Mm -hmm. Arabic is the lingua franca of Islamic studies. So you cannot say that uh, uh, I'll I'll be able to be very much a specialist in Islamic studies, and I don't know Arabic, I don't know Urdu, I don't know know Persian, any of the Islamic languages, and still uh, everything's fine, not all, if I want to specialize in Greek philosophy. And I don't know any Greek. Okay, how can I claim that I am a specialist? So, language sometimes is also important, but there are, to to put it short, uh, there are things for which Western and secular bioethics to be criticized. And there are also things for which Islamic bioethics and how the bioethical discourse in the Muslim world is running also to be criticized.
2: Now, this attitude of yours is actually quite positive because uh, uh, pointing a finger at the other side and saying these are your faults you're saying no we, we have issues you have issues in other words you're creating a in t- terms of the blame culture if you like you're creating a level field we all have issues we need to deal with and, and that kind of takes away the the uh any potential polemical antagonistic kind of agenda there so i think that more irenic approach uh might, might win over people better
3: Yes, I think I, I had this also developed it, maybe because of my personality and character, but also because of uh, how I lived. So, half uh, wow. of my life in the Arab world, the other half is in the West. So, I have also seen uh, both sides. They made what I am now. So um, maybe that's the reason. If if my Dutch colleagues who wrote their article spent a great deal of their life in Saudi Arabia or United Arab Emirates or Qatar, maybe they would have also thought differently. Who knows? Mm,
2: okay. And so when is the uh, the World Congress of Bioethics taking place?
3: Uh, it's uh, between the second and the sixth of May, uh, twenty twenty-four, next year.
2: No, so I've got a year to go. Okay. Uh, yes. Be I, I, I hope that gets a lot of attention in, in on social media and online as well, because I think it is a significant paradigm shift uh, to, uh, and indeed it's the first time it's ever been happened, ever t- taken place in the Middle East as well. So much overdue clearly. And I wish you obviously very well for that. Um, and, and perhaps we'll, We'll draw to a conclusion, but I just wanted to stress, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, that you, you have uh, authored a number of publications I- in English as well. And these these can be accessed uh, via a link, which I put in the description below to academia.edu, uh, but I'll put the link in the description below. Um, just to conclude, if we may, is there anything you want to share with us in terms of what we as lay people, if you like, non-specialists, should understand about uh, Islamic uh, Islam and bioethics as a takeaway, What, what, what? Wh- how should we remember what you've said and how should we think about this ongoing in terms of the issues?
3: Yeah, well again to put uh, things uh, simple, uh, Muslims like any other human be- beings, they have their own moral world. This moral world is a complex one of our structure. Uh, part of it is religious for sure, but mm. not only. So there is a cultural, social part. Uh, there is a part related to our age, our social status. My moral world as, as a husband is different than my moral world as a father, as a, as a colleague at work, and so on. So in order to handle the, the ethical dilemmas and ethically challenging questions coming from the ongoing biomedical revolution that we are living in, people need to check their moral world to know what is what is what is good and what is bad what is doable what is not doable etc and uh, muslims are uh, doing the same uh, the problem is that in order to answer these questions uh, the answers are not uh, ready made so so mm-hmm. you cannot go to the quran directly and then you will find the answer or the sunnah there is a level of ijtihad of of uh, heavy weights reasoning that should be done This heavyweight reasoning uh, necessitates involving people from different disciplines, only religious sciences and not only Sharia, but also people from biomedical sciences, I would even say more, people from philosophy of science, people from uh, different domains in order to have uh, a rich uh, uh, bioethical discourse. And uh, um, understanding this discourse, uh, understanding its historical roots, um, understanding its engagement with the different disciplines inside and outside the Islamic tradition is the thing that I'm doing on a daily basis. And I'm very, very happy <laughs> to be the, uh, a fortunate person to be paid for uh, uh, exercising his passion, uh, things that uh, I enjoy doing. So th- this is my work and this is uh, what I'm doing. And I hope that my publication, my media uh, appearances like this one, I, I don't do that much, but uh, uh, because I have also my students and uh, I have my okay. academic uh, projects, and I have my children as well to take care of at home. So, uh, but I hope uh, these both academic publications, media appearances, etc., will help people, not only Muslims but people in general to understand how this uh, world religion, like Islam, interacts with these uh, ethically challenging questions, uh, big questions in our life. And it will make you as a physician, as a healthcare professional, as someone who tries to understand why people behave in the way they do, uh, Mm -hmm. that my work will be of help in this regard, and that we can have uh, a bit more understanding for each other uh, than what it is the case at the moment in uh, our very polarised and polarising world where we are living in.
2: Indeed. Gosh. Well, I do commend you for your uh, outstanding work, uh, Professor Mohammed Ghali. And, and I'm also you. very grateful for your time. In as You mentioned all your uh, many commitments, academic and personal, uh, that you have. Um, so very grateful that you can share with us uh, your expertise. And um, I, I, I certainly, and I hope many other people as well will be watching what you do, uh, and your work uh, with with increasing interest and I- Islam is not going away. Islam is a growing religion globally. Um, it's growing very fast in the West. So we, we all need to be aware of the ethical and moral dimensions to Islam when it deals with these new issues in, in bioethics. So it really is a very important subject and will be increasingly more important, if you like, uh, as as the years go by uh for those reasons so thank you very much indeed for your time so really appreciate it
3: thank you thanks for having me and uh, wish you all the best okay.